This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Can we just give God praise today? Amen. Amen. I'm Pastor Kevin, one of our pastors here at uh, Christian Life Center. Um, I just want to just take some time to honor our pastor. Pastor Tom and Pastor Candy are still on their way uh, to Jamaica. Many of you may not know, but God has opened up doors for them to be able to be in Jamaica to equip pastors and leaders with discipleship and different church material to help grow their congregations. Um, But I'm just thankful for our pastors and leaders here who give us opportunity uh, to receive the word and to even experience God on a weekly basis. So can we can just honor our pastor, Pastor Tom and Pastor Candy. Amen. Amen. Uh, in the last part of that video you heard Miss uh, Esther was sharing, I want to just take some time here to let you know that we have our Fam Jam service coming up. This is a service that we put on with our Next Gen department, which ministers to kids, teens, and youth, and parents. But it's a huge weekend, and it's a lot that takes place for that actually to take place or for that to be able to go smoothly. So we actually need your help. If you have a heart to serve or you desire to be more behind the scenes to kind of help us with some of the games outside and even facilitating those that will be in service that particular time on that specific day, and you would like to be a part of that, please, if you can, just text that, that number you see on the screen. Just lets us know that you're available to serve. We can't do it alone. And all the families that's going to be in our services, God would ask that we would have the ability to be able to minister effectively to them. So if you want to serve, get behind the scenes with us. You can be able to see that number on the screen so that you can be able to do so. We've been walking through a series called There's No Way. Everyone say, there's no way. There's no way. Week one, Pastor Tom touched on this encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and that this time they would not have believed that there was a way that the actual scroll of Isaiah or the scripture or the written word of Isaiah would have reached Ethiopia, let alone this Ethiopian eunuch actually receiving the gospel and being baptized right there. But how many people know that when there is no way, Jesus makes a way to ensure that the gospel can go forth, amen? Then week two, we touched on the Samaritan woman who would go to this man-made well to draw from it, to drink from this water. And each time she would have to keep returning because the water itself was not fully satisfying and quenching her thirst. So Jesus coming as the living water says to her to drink from, this, drink from me and you'll never thirst again. And what I love about this particular passage is that it was, it was very unconventional that Jesus would be ministering to a Samaritan, let alone a woman. But Jesus, when there is no way, he is the way. And he makes a way for no person to be left out or disqualified from reaching or receiving, I should say, the gospel. Amen? Then last week, we looked at Matthew, the tax collector, and we know this, that there was probably no way that a tax collector would have received the gospel of Jesus, let alone Jesus himself going and having fellowship with him. But I love this because even though there may seem to be no way, Jesus always makes a way. Today, we're looking at a very familiar passage. They're not going to put it on the screens yet. This scripture, many people know this verse. It's almost one of the most popular verses in scripture. And it reads this way. It's in John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only, right, that whosoever would believe in him shall not but have everlasting life. This specific scripture actually takes place between this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus. I want to talk to you a little bit about Nicodemus before we continue. Nicodemus was actually a Pharisee. 
A Pharisee in scripture was someone who was a member of an ancient Jewish sect or distinguished by strict observance of the written law. In other words, they knew the law back and front. They knew it almost to be able to even quote it at any given notice. Now, these practices of knowing the law led, as you can study them in scripture, to them actually being self-righteous or even operating in a form of legalism, I should say. This became destructive because they knew the law, but they missed the very person who came to fulfill the law, which is Jesus Christ. You see this to be true that when Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, they're condemning him for healing on the Sabbath. And though they were right in that they weren't, according to the law, that they were not supposed to be carrying out specific things on the Sabbath, but Jesus is trying to stretch their perspective to see why would he withhold something good from someone on the Sabbath? You find them questioning Jesus to see, to ask him who's the greatest in the, in, what's the greatest commandment in scripture? You also find them condemning a woman who was caught in adultery because the law said that this woman should be stoned. And many of us know that scripture and Jesus goes down and he writes. And there you even find that the Pharisees were even out of their minds and saying that Jesus himself was, he was casting out demons by demons. So the point I'm making here is though they knew the law, they, they were missing the very revelation of the truth. Jesus Christ is the word that became flesh and dwelt among them. And they were missing the fact that he came to fulfill this law. And they were still missing him. Nicodemus was also a ruler. He had a lot of influence among the other Pharisees among the time. To give you a better picture of it, the past few weeks we've been looking at this TV series called The Chosen. And we know that not all the clips are specifically exactly how it went down in Scripture. But they made this TV series to give us somewhat of a concept of what it could have looked like. But I want you to see this encounter between Jesus and a Pharisee at night. If you have your Bibles, we open to John chapter 316. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. By the end of today's sermon, I want us to fully understand or understand as much as we can what it means to be born again. The title for today is uh, The Rebirth. Someone say The Rebirth. To be born again, the rebirth is what we're going to talk about today. Father, we thank you for this word um, that you've made available to us. Your word is our daily bread. Your word is a light to our path and lamp to our bodies, Lord. And you guide us and you direct us according to all truth for the purpose of freedom and our understanding of you and in our transformational process of becoming more like you. Lord, let this, t- this teaching of what it means to be reborn, what it means to be born again, come alive to us, illuminate it for us, And show us how we can apply it, leaving from service today. And we thank you that you make a way for us to to be invited into a relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, regardless of our background, whatever our socioeconomic status may be. You make room for us to know you. You make room for us to have a relationship with you. And we thank you that you so love us that you gave your one and only son. So that if we believe in you, we won't perish, but we'll have everlasting life in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just give him praise just one more time as we continue on? All right. I know it's a little chilly a little bit, but if you could just tell your neighbors, say, stay awake. Tell your neighbors, say, stay awake. Tell your other neighbor, 
stay awake. I see you dozing off just a little bit, right? Some of you probably slept in today and probably still a little tired. But tell your neighbor, say, stay awake. Stay awake. We're going to keep going and get through this. I promise we'll get through it. And then you'll be able to head to lunch or whatever you have after service. There are some misconceptions that I feel I would like to unpack just a little bit. You just saw Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, someone unlikely to be meeting with Jesus to understand the gospel, understand the truth. And then in that encounter, which is very, very unlikely to, that would have taken place according to our uh, cultural norms, it's when that big passage of scripture is formulated or is birthed. But some misconceptions I want to show us is this. Being a good and moral person will merit you eternal life. This is very important because we live in a day and age right now where we are defining what morality is. Where we know people and he's like, man, this, this is a good person or she is a good person or, or he is a bad person. But being a good person or a moral person will not merit you eternal life because God only is good. And there is no good outside of God. If there's anything within us that is good, it's him. And it ought to be pointing people to him. The reason why this is important is because we're living in an age where any kind of spirituality seems like Christian spirituality. Now, I know this might sound crazy or may make us a little bit uncomfortable, but the truth is it's becoming harder to know the difference between godliness and spirituality. And this is very important because if you're not careful, you can buy and subscribe to things that seem good. That's not God. Another misconception is that knowledge alone will bring transformation. Man, if this was true, many of us would be the most transformed ever, right? Anybody here love to learn, just love to grow? I do. I love school. I remember just a little bit about me. I remember I did something which I'll never, ever do again. There was one semester when I was in school, and I was taking online classes and in-person classes, and I came up with the, the, the great idea that I would try to finish all of my assignments in two weeks for the whole semester. My wife was like, why? I was like, I just, just want to finish everything, right? But it was a terrible idea. I should have never did that, right? But... Knowledge alone doesn't bring transformation. Knowledge is just information. Because even, the, the, even Satan himself knows the word. And if knowledge alone would bring transformation, then Satan himself would be transformed. God is calling us to be a people who don't just know his word here. But we have to know it here. God has to transform us from the inside out. I say, it, I say it all the time a different way. It's not just reading the Bible, but it's letting the Bible read us. All scripture, it says, it says the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. And paraphrasing that passage, it says that it cuts to the bone and marrow and it exposes every intention. So even, this is the thing, the heart is deceiving. So even when we think we're moving with good intentions, his truth really exposes us what's really on the inside. Eternal life, another misconception, is gained through works. Ephesians chapter two, verse 89 says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. This honestly is how I got saved. I grew up in a, my parents are from Haiti. 
and I'm, I'm proud to be Haitian. Proud. I just love being Haitian. And yeah, yes. Amen. My parents are from Haiti. And I'm, um, in, in our home growing up, our home was very strict, right? And, and if you're with your parents in service, don't raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. But um, our home was very strict. And what it did for me is it developed within me a, a perfectionism where I tried to earn things through works. And I tried to bring that into my understanding of God. So I, okay, maybe if I can read scriptures every day, maybe if I can go to church every week, maybe if I can get involved in everything, maybe if I can learn every worship song. And I remember as a young kid growing up in faith, I'd do all these things and still be struggling in sin. And I didn't understand. I'm like, God, but I'm doing all of the right things. And he's saying it's not in your works that you could be saved. And <laughs> that's amazing grace. Because if... If we could save ourselves, we wouldn't need the cross. But he sent his son to die for us to show us that it's only through him that we can find salvation. And to be honest with you, if you, if you are anything that, that, that you are into uh, a form of perfectionist or you tend to lean towards works, grace makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense because you're, we're, we're, we're groomed to earn things. But Jesus t- tells us there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. He did it through Jesus Christ, and it is finished, the finished work of the cross. Now, it doesn't mean we take the grace and and keep sinning, but it leads us to transformation. This is how I got saved. I said, man, if being good is not good enough and being bad obviously is not good, then grace must be real for me because if I can't do it in my own strength, I would need someone greater than me, smarter than me, that can invite me into a transformational process with him. Maybe you're in service right now. You've been searching and you've been Googling things. You've been looking things up. You're just trying to find truth. I encourage you, you're not gonna find it outside of Jesus and you're not gonna work it up in your own strength. You need him to make it available to you and make it true to you and real to you so that you can come to know Jesus, amen? It is by grace we've been saved through faith. And that's why that song says amazing grace, right? It it is amazing grace that Jesus would choose to die for us while we were still yet sinners. This is why this is important. We we looked at what a Pharisee is. Because many times in scripture, when you see Pharisees, it's it's easy to assume Pharisees are just something in the Old Testament. A Pharisee could look like this. Like traditionally, when we think of Pharisees, we see images of those maybe perhaps in some type of uh, Jewish attire, maybe unraveling the scroll. But a Pharisee can also look like this. Someone in a suit coming to church on Sunday, dressing the part. A Pharisee can also look like somebody watching online right now that's on the headphones and just kicked up on the recliner. A Pharisee also can look like someone getting their shoes laced up, getting ready to go to the gym. Or a Pharisee can be somebody exercising. Now, I was going to try to get a picture of me, but I didn't want to get people mad, you know, so do push-ups. But, right, but the point is, is that we have to all guard our hearts from becoming like the Pharisees who know the law but don't know Jesus. Now, this is very important. This does not mean that we forsake knowing God's word because we need to know God's word. The Bible says to study to show ourselves to prove workmen unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. But if we're not careful, if all we do is know information and don't have revelation, it's just information. Jesus was literally in the midst of the Pharisees. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, and they still missed him. Man, 
You can be in the middle of, 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 a, of a God moment where Jesus is moving and you still miss him. Now, this reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood, she's traveling through the, she sees Jesus coming through the crowd. She touches the hem of his garment in faith and she receives healing. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? This is a powerful picture because of this. Jesus was in a crowd, which means everybody was touching him. It's like church, where everybody's touching him, where everybody's singing songs, where everyone is watching online, where everyone is opening their Bibles, but just one person is actually having faith to believe he is who he says he is, that her touch is different from the crowd's touch. That's good. Because she's pursuing him, knowing that she's tried the doctor's knowing that she's tried the professionals, knowing that she's done everything that she could to show that, man, Jesus must be the only solution I have. Some of you heard it this way. Sometimes we don't realize he's all we need until he's all we have. So she touches the hem of his garment. He says, who touched me? He realizes, he tells her, your faith has made you well. This is what the Pharisees were like. In the vicinity, in the vicinity of Jesus, and missing him. You see that clearly when Jesus is healing on the Sabbath and they're saying, why are you healing on the Sabbath? The Sabbath, true, yes, that they were up to uphold the Sabbath and to be sure to rest from the works, but why would Jesus withhold a healing because of a tradition? And this gets very controversial. I'm not trying to be controversial, but the point I'm making is it's, it's such a big picture for us to understand that we could be around Jesus and miss him. <laughs> that is crazy. We could be in church and miss him. We could, I, I, I've read the entire Bible five times. And each time I read it, I realize how much I still don't know. Like, oh man, I didn't even realize that was in the Bible. I've even come to a point of slowing down and saying, man, if I'm going to read through these scriptures, I'm going to read it slow until it makes sense. Because so, I want to be transformed. Not just informed. And many people, many people know the word, but are not living it. All of, many of us, it could be all, it could be any of us. I'm not pointing my finger at anyone. But the point is, is that if we're going to guard our hearts from becoming like the Pharisees, we got to be, we got to be still in the presence of the Lord and ask him to transform us and conform them into the image of his son. I was praying last night and I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, what would be the main thing? We have points we're going to go into, key points in different scriptures. I said, Lord, what would be the main thing for everyone today? And I was praying. I was waiting at his, in his presence, just, just kneeling before. I said, Lord, what would be the main thing? And he led me to this scripture. It's not in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It says, the grace of our Lord, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship or communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When Paul is praying this prayer, I believe it's a prayer for us today that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and fellowship with the Holy Spirit would be with us all, that we would understand his grace, that we would receive his love, and that we would be in communion with his Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is he, they are in community with one another, and we have opportunity to be invited in that community to understand him, to understand his word, and to draw near to him. And what the Lord said to me was this. We need to know him. I'm not talking about just a head knowledge. 
a heart knowledge. We need to know him. Jesus says in the last, when we, that many people will come to heaven and he will say, I never knew you. The way we know him is in his presence. The way we know him is when we have unrushed, uninterrupted time with God. We can know about him. We can know what's maybe being taught to us, but God is calling us to be a people in a church who will go home, who will go home and unpack the word and wrestle with God at home. Because it means nothing if I live outside to put on a form of godliness, if I'm not exercising daily disciplines in the faith at home. That comes through private time in prayer, private time in his word, to know him, to know God through experience and revelation. Sometimes we, we settle. We settle. We settle for just a secondhand revelation for someone else to come and unpack this. But Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we can approach his throne of grace with confidence to say, Lord, I'm here. This is what I have. This is who I am. And I need you to transform me. And I need you to make this real for me at home. Amen? Amen. But that's my prayer for all of us today, that we truly would desire to know God through his son, through, his, through, through the Father, through the Holy Spirit, and have true communion with him. But back to the main passage of Scripture, which is John chapter 3. I love how when Jesus is encountering Nicodemus, it says that it takes place at, takes place at night. Now, it's probably because he didn't want to be seen in public. But even though he may not have wanted to be seen in public, I love that Jesus still made himself available. Jesus is always available. He's available at midnight if you need to call on him then. He's available in, in, in the morning. He's available in the afternoon. We can call on Jesus any time, any day. And he's making himself, and he'll make himself available for all of us. Maybe you're watching online or you're in the room and you need to call on Jesus. He's available to respond. His ears are not too deaf or neither his arms too short to come and reach us right where we are. Amen. Jesus is always available. When we seek him, we will find him. When we seek him with all of our hearts, Nicodemus in verse two is saying, he says, man, no one can do these signs unless God is with him. There's no way this could be done unless God is with him. And I love how it's pointing to the fact that Nicodemus, who's a person who would have known the law or would have been a teacher, is still not understanding this specific truth. And Jesus is zoning in on this to show us that though we may have different gifts and talents, they all come under subjection to his authority. Amen? And I love how Jesus did not answer Nicodemus right away. Jesus is often asking questions and, and, and drawing us nearer and, and drawing us in, where he leans us into a moment to bring forth a real change and transformation in our life. Then he tells him in verse 5, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of the water, born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 6, he says, That which has been born of the flesh is flesh. And that which has been born of the spirit is spirit. This is a powerful truth. Because what Jesus is showing that to be born again is not a work of the flesh. It's a work of the spirit. And we live in a society right now where there are a lot of works of the flesh that are producing flesh. But it's only that which is birthed through spirit that actually produces spirit. And we got to know the difference. Because just because something is spiritual don't mean it's birth through the Spirit. And I said it earlier, but I want to say it again. I don't know why I'm parking on this. There are some spiritual things that are formed that's really of the flesh. But it's only the Spirit of God that truly brings forth life. 
And we, got to draw, and we have to draw nearer to the Lord to know the difference. Because it'll come a point in time where it, everything will seem like it's the same. Or there'll be a form of godliness, I mentioned. But we, may, we, we will need to know him. And, and, and I said a moment ago why it's important for us to know him. Because it's when we know and have an understanding and a revelation of who Jesus is that we're not deceived. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you've tasted the real thing, you don't have to taste anything else. But this takes place daily, daily experiencing God, daily abiding in his presence, daily delving into his word and unpacking the truth. Why? Because it's not him who's changing, it's us changing to become more like him. The more, they say you become what you, beho- what you behold. As we are specifically being in his presence, he's conforming us to be like him. And he's even exposing within us the areas that are not. Anyone ever experienced that before where you experience when you come into prayer and he's convicting you? Me and Pastor Charles are always talking about this. It's like you come into the presence of God and he's confronting you on something that you need to change. You're coming into the presence of God and he's exposing an area in you that you need to repent of. And the reason why this is important and it links to the, the, the Nicodemus passage is that it would have been easy for Jesus to come and have a, a, a debate on doctrine. But you could debate doctrine and not be transformed. Doctrine sometimes is a mask that people hold to and they hide the actual area that they need to really change. And I know no one wants to talk about it, but it's true. We have a religious occupation sometimes, preoccupation where, well, we know all these scriptures, but that, th- that, that actual mask hides the actual area where you need to change. You could, you could quote scripture and hold judgments. You can know the word and walk in unforgiveness. Amen? Why do you think why is there always altars? The altars is for the Christians. We tend to, the altars are open so that we could continue to transform to be like Jesus. God is forever calling us to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Man, I, I don't know if y'all understand what I'm saying. The gospel, remember, let's, let's rewind. When Jesus first came, he was coming for the Jews. But he makes room for us as Gentiles to receive the truth. And every single day, he's still confronting us with truth. Every time we, whenever you're going into a new level in Christ, it's always something he's compelling you to let go of. You can't go into this new season with that habit. You can't go into this new season with that mindset. You can't go into this new season with that. Ha- and that's for us. Amen. I'm going to pull back so I don't get in trouble. But the point is, the point is, we all need the truth of God to be changed. And it's available to us every single day. I want to spend the next few moments just talking about what does it mean to be born again. The actual rebirth process. Number one, being born again means we have a new life. Someone say new life. A new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if you are in Christ, right, you are a new creation. The old things are gone and the new things have come. Whenever somebody gets saved, when someone uh, gives their life to Jesus and becomes what we would call a Christian, believe it or not, they actually start off as a spiritual infant, and this sometimes becomes something that we forget. When somebody gets saved, we automatically think that they're spiritual parents, but they're actually spiritual infants. If you can think about an infant, 
an infant is fully dependent on their parents or whoever they're, whoever's taking care of them for food, for nourishment. I mean, the only language they speak is crying. Those of you who have kids, y'all know what I'm saying. They just cry. It's like, how do, I always want to know how parents know which cry means what. It's like, does this, this is the, the high-pitched cry and the medium-pitched cry. Like, they just cry, and you just got to figure it out through the, the translation of the Holy Spirit and what it means. But this is spiritual infants. When you first get saved, it's spiritual infancy you step into. And why am I bringing this up? It's because sometimes if we're not careful and we're not guarding our hearts of that self-righteousness, of that spiritual pride, we can forget sometimes that those who are coming into the faith start off as infants. And sometimes we are the worst, the worst, worst, worst. When people are coming into Christ and coming into a relationship with him, we have all these rules and regulations for them. It's like, they're just this. <laughs> and we're like, hey, do you know you're supposed to wear a suit on Sundays? They're like, I've got diapers. You're supposed to, can you imagine them wearing suits? <laughs> it's like, you're supposed to wear a suit on Sunday. You got to be dressed like this. You got to do this, do that, do that. And they're like, I, I, Google Gaga. <laughs> what? And this is what happens. We, we, we can become a country club. Right? Or we can become uh, lifeguards who talk about reaching people and never actually doing it. That when God brings people into the body of Christ to get saved and they look like this, we don't even know what to do with them. Then when people are walking through spiritual infancy, then they get to a place where they're learning to walk, right? And if you know when a baby's trying to learn how to walk, they're, they're wobbling a little bit. They're taking some little steps that may fall down and the parent is behind cheering them on. Cheering them on. And if maybe, maybe you're in this room and you remember, remember being a spiritual infant and learning how to walk and learning how to speak and learning what it means to really be a Christian. It requires the people of God who may have been saved longer or been in a church longer to be those that are actually spurring them on the faith to keep walking, to keep walking. You can make it. Get back up. Keep moving. The righteous may fall seven times, but it gets back up. Keep moving forward. We need to, honestly, we, we need to see more people get saved. And if that actually takes place inside of our church, it's going to be people looking like this. <laughs> They're going to be looking like this while we know the songs, we know all the quotes, and they don't even know anything. They're just trying to, I just made it here, right? But we need more people to know Jesus. The gospel is not just for us to hold for ourselves, but it's for every person, every whosoever would believe that they would receive Jesus. And when they come to receive Jesus, it's our responsibility to embrace them into the family of God. It's not saying that we're condoning any bad lifestyles, but we're inviting them to be in the family of God to work out their salvation with our support. Then eventually that, per, that, that person goes from spiritual infancy and they walk through all the different stages of spiritual life where they then become a spiritual parent. And the reason why this is important is because this is the goal. The goal for a spiritual parent is to be able to develop a disciple legacy of other believers who are also making other disciples. But if you would ask yourself the tough question, when was the last time you really discipled anyone? Like when was, we had to ask ourselves that. How many people are we leading to Christ? And after we lead to Christ, are actually walking along the journey with them. It's way harder to do. It's easier to post stuff online and call people out. It's easier, right? It's easier to quote scripture in service and sing all the songs. But what's way harder is trying to walk someone through. They yell at you, they bite you, <laughs> they cuss at you, and, and you're trying to journey along with them for them to actually see that 
they too will be doing that for somebody else one day. God calls us to be spiritual parents. Then what happens is we, become, we, we celebrate now when someone new comes into the faith. It's like, man, I remember where I used to be. Man, you know, if anything, you ever notice that when you, when you truly get around people who come to know Jesus early, it almost spurs your faith on. You ever experienced that? Or it's like, yo, I remember, I used to be on fire just like that. It makes you pray more. Or they ask you questions that you don't know. I mean, I got to go. I'll be back to you. Let me go ask God. You're actually praying again. You're actually seeking God again. And this is why it's healthy for the body of Christ to receive in more spiritual infants to be growing or groomed in the faith. And we have to guard our hearts from being those Pharisees who don't welcome them in. Jesus makes all things new. So to be born again, we experience a new life, and Jesus himself is the one who makes all things new. Number two, being born again means we have a new identity. We have a new identity. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 16 says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living in, according, in, in accord with the flesh, you are going to die, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading you to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. When Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, telling him you must be born again, it requires a new identity. Yes, they may know that Nicodemus may have been known as a Pharisee, but he's inviting him to be seen as a son this is important because we live in a society that we, we identify ourselves by our professions and by our titles and by what people know us as. But God calls us, when we are adopted into the family of God and we receive that new identity, the identity of knowing that we are loved by God becomes our identity. It's now saying, man, I'm a child of God. I'm a son and daughter of the Most High God. I can walk in confidence because God repre I'm representing Christ. So when we are born again, whatever we used to be known as, you don't have to carry any other titles, any other labels. You now can bear the name of the Father. And man, there is no way that God would give maybe perhaps somebody who's addicted to drugs or, or struggling um, with sexual sin would give you a new identity. But he makes a way so that you can have a new identity in him. And may you never forget that because we because. There will come a point in time where the thing that you're doing, you may not ever be able to do anymore. But if you know who you are in Christ, you can still remain fortified and planted because who you are in Christ will never change. I'm a child of God. Amen. Amen. Give him praise for that. Our new identity results in new behaviors. This is important because when we know who we are in Christ, the aspects of our lifestyle that doesn't match that identity can realign us and recalibrate us. Because I'm now a child of God, I don't have a license to, do, to just do whatever I want. Or, this, or, or when, you're, when, when you're having some moments of challenge or temptation, it's you speaking back into your life and saying, man, this is not who I am. I'm a child of God, and I'm called to live according to the Spirit of God. And he makes that available through his Son. Amen? Our new identity leads to new behaviors. Last and certainly but not least, being born again means we have a new mind, a new mind. Ephesians 4 verses 21 to 24, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are 
to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This is a very packed passage. But I want to talk about it just a little bit. He starts off, Paul starts off by saying, if you indeed have heard him and been taught in him, just as truth in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourself of the old self. Part of that old self is those old ways of thinking. Now, this is way, this is deeper than just like sinful behavior. This, this is any toxic mental habits that we may have that's not according to the new nature in Christ. Because you can be living in Christ, not living in sin, and still have a toxic mind. All of us, myself included, my mind goes crazy sometimes. But God is saying, listen, those mindsets that are part of the old nature or old habits or may, what may have even been taught down from generation to generation. God is calling all of us. He's saying those mindsets are to be made new in me, in your new identity. I was, I was listening to a friend of mine. He shared a video talking about generational curses, which I fully believe in. But sometimes generational curses are generational habits that are passed down from generation to generation. Your mom thinks like that. Your great-grandma thinks like that. Everybody thinks the same. But it requires all of us to be able to say, yes, maybe everybody thought this way, but it's not good. And God is calling me to think differently in Christ. So we put off the old mind, the old life, the old habits, and we put on the new nature of Christ. He said, that's your former way of life, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the deceit. Our flesh is decaying every single day. But you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You are to be renewed. Romans 12 says, being transformed by the renewing of your mind every single day. This is why you have to abide every day. Because when you're staying in uninterrupted, I mentioned it earlier, unrushed time with God, he takes time to reveal to you the areas in you that really need to change or perhaps that may have drifted slightly. Our flesh is constantly waging against the spirit. And unless we have a daily routine where we're being recalibrated in Christ, we are drifting. When I come into his presence, he realigns me. He realigns my thinking. He realigns my, 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 my speaking. I, I even get to a place now where I come into the presence of God where I'm not trying to run my mouth in his presence. He already knows. <laughs> Lord, you show me today what you're wanting to reveal to me in this moment. Because if you're not careful, and remember the context of this is referring to the, uh, Nicodemus who was a Pharisee in scripture. When you know the law, and I'm gonna be real transparent here. When you know the law, if you're not careful, you won't know the difference between actual authentic spirituality and performance. You, you might go into the presence of God, God, for God's love, the Lord, give Jesus, you the most high God, and God's like, what are you doing? Stop performing. That's why scripture says, when we come into his presence, let our words be few. He's holy. Right? Prayer, and this is not in our notes, and I didn't even say this in the first service, but to have fellowship with God is where we truly come without the mask and let him confront the errors in our lives that need to change. And sometimes that can't take place when you're just running your mouth. <laughs> I do it all the time. I come in his presence, like, oh, Jesus, 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 high God, Jehovah Jireh, Marah, for all those in heaven. He's like, what are you doing? Because sometimes, I mentioned earlier, we hide behind those things. It's coming in his presence and being still. God, thank you for life. I'm here to be with you. I'm here to be in your presence. Show me today what we're dealing with. I love when David says, search me, know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And then what? Lead me in the everlasting way. Because guess what? He knows me better than I know myself. So I don't even know when I'm performing sometimes, to be honest. It's when I'm still in his presence. He's, it's in that moment where he's renewing my mind. That's why Paul is saying, in the spirit of your minds, put on the new self, which is the likeness of, of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put on the new self. It's that active daily discipline. That's why I love it says put on. It's the daily discipline of putting on the new self. It's not like you're putting on a, a split personality. It's the, remi- it's the reminder. It's like, I am a child of God. I don't think how I used to think. I'm not plagued by fear anymore. I'm not, uh, sub- I'm not susceptible anymore. I'm not, uh, I'm not doomed to living out the way that former people in my generation have thought. I have a new mind. I have the mind of Christ today. And I'm going to think how Christ thinks on this situation. It's that daily putting on of the new self. The new self. But God is the only one who helps to teach you that through his word. Amen. Be intentional to renew your minds daily. Everyone say daily. Be intentional to renew your minds. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, which is which, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I love verse 2. It says, set your minds. Everyone say, set your minds. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Setting is an active process. You're setting your mind. Just like you set that alarm clock, you're setting your mind. And, and, and Paul breaks this down a little bit more where he says, you're going to think on things that are true. You're going to think on things that are pure. You're going to think on things that are praiseworthy. You're going to think on things that are of moral excellence, I want the translation says. These are the things you're going to think on. And that's a daily discipline. It's you literally staying and, 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 and taking every thought captive and saying, today I'm going to think on what's true. What is true? I have breath in my lungs. And that breath comes from God, and I can praise him for that. When those thoughts come that are not true, it's like, wait, is this, is this true? If it's not true, I'm not even going to think on this. So I'm going to set my mind. Maybe you need to reset your mind back to the truth of God's word. For you died, for you have died, and in verse 3, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I, man, that verse alone is a whole sermon. But I just want to touch a little bit on it. Hidden in Christ. And the reason why this is important, and we didn't even go like this in first service, so I think the Lord is, like, making this special for all of us here, me, myself included. The reason why he put that verse there is because he's linking it to righteousness. So righteousness is a word that refers to us being in right standing with God, where Christ, through the blood of Jesus, is justifying us, justifies us to have a relationship with God. Because God is holy, and because God is holy in our own flesh, in our own nature, we have no access to him. So some type of penalty needed to be paid, some type of sacrifice needed to be made that would give now uh, us the ability to be able to now come to, come to God, and that's his son Jesus. That's why scripture says he became sin, who knew no sin, so that we can become the righteousness of God through his blood. You, the reason why that's important, when the blood of Jesus is upon our lives, when we, are in, when we are coming into a relationship with Jesus, when God looks, he doesn't see us. He sees his son. Because if he were to see us, it'd be our nature. It'd be our flesh. It'd be our weaknesses. It'd be, it'd be the, 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 the man, Kevin. But how many people know that the man, Kevin, can't save himself? Or the, or the woman or the person of you outside of Jesus, we're nothing. But Jesus, his blood shed for us. 
gives us the ability to have right standing with God. And the reason why that's amazing, because I'm now hidden in Christ. Now, I'm hidden in Christ. (laughs) Scripture says that he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. So even when the accuser, Satan himself, comes, the accuser of brethren is trying to call those things out from your past, you're now hidden in Christ. When you confess your sins to Jesus, when you confess your life to Jesus, those, those areas, and repent and turn from those things, we become hidden in Christ to now be in right standing with God. That whole verse is powerful because now when I approach his throne of grace, I can approach with confidence, not confidence in the flesh, but confidence in Jesus. That man, I know I can come to God because of Jesus. You might be in service today right now. You probably haven't been here in a long time. You may not have even talked to God in a long time. I want to let you know he still makes himself available to you through Jesus. You can say, look, Lord, I haven't been here a long time, but I thank you for your son because I can come into your presence and draw near to you so that you can continue to transform me to become more like you. The way that we practically apply this is when we, to to receive new life in Christ, we have to give our lives to Jesus, accept him into our lives. To walk in the new identity, it's those new behaviors, it's the daily disciplines I touched on and renewing our minds. Is through personal devotion and studying his word. One of the ways you can do so as well, if you're not a part of a life group, a small group, we encourage you to be able to do so. It's important because hearing a sermon is one thing, but actually unpacking it in community is a whole nother level. Because now as iron is sharpening iron, you're sharpening one another with the questions that you're asking, what you're going through. It then helps every person to continue on in their faith. If you want to join a life group, there's a number on the screen you can follow. If you're already in one, you haven't been there in a long time, I invite you back. Because we want to invite you to be able to, to take this message and take the message that, messages that are to come to unpack them in community with other believers. Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, in verses 9 through 15, he tells them that nobody can come to the kingdom unless they are born again. And I love this because... He's helping Nicodemus to see that revelation is only found through Jesus. And it's when we surrender our lives and our will to him that we can come to experience him. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room right now, even if it's just one person, we just want to just give you the opportunity. We're going to open these altars before we close out. If you're in this room and you know you're not, you're not right with God, and maybe you've been running from God or maybe, I don't know what it could be, but you just know you're not right with God. You know and he knows. We're going to open these altars as the worship team is going to sing in just a moment. Uh, We won't rush out. I know some people may have to go home and different things you may have going on, which is fine. But if you're here and you came to service and you're like, man, I really need God. I need to experience him. I need a real relationship with him. I want to open up these altars specifically because we can no longer assume that just because we're all in church together that everybody has a relationship with God. Neither do we judge people if they don't. We want to make opportunity available. If you know you're not right with God, we're going to just open these altars. You can come down at any moment. Our prayer team will pray with you. But the point that we're inviting you into is not just another formal prayer, but an actual relationship with Jesus. I want to let you know, John 14, he says, he is the way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You may have been searching. You may have been looking. But God is inviting you to be able to find a relationship with him. So as the altars are open, I want to invite you to be able to come down as we get an opportunity here 
to give our lives to Jesus. Father, we thank you for the new life that's made available to you. We thank you for the new mind that's made available to you. We thank you for the new identity that's made available to you. And I just pray, God, if there's someone in this service that you, by your grace, will compel them to come into an invitation with you, into a relationship with you, a new revelation of who you are. God, open our hearts, open their hearts to receive that. As the worship team sings, God, we're ready and willing to pray with whoever, even if it's just one. In Jesus' name. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.